Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So we're continuing our message series in Galatians, and I want to begin by reading this first section of Galatians and to kind of catch you up because the Bible wasn't written with chapters. Paul didn't break it up. His testimony is being broken up here. So Paul begins uh, in chapter 1 talking about how he was a persecutor and then how he was converted and God called him to go to the Gentiles. And he says, and then after an interval of 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. You know how people get Bible verses tattooed on their body? Never saw that one, right? That verse has always left off people's, you know, arms or something. (laughs) Nobody compelled Titus to be circumcised. Um, But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we didn't yield to the subjection. I'm sorry, we did not yield in subjection to them. For even an hour or so, the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But... From those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. So he's basically saying the apostles didn't give anything to what I brought to them. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised and Peter had been trusted to the gospel of the circumcised. Can I, can I say, do you know, the uncircumcised would be anybody that's not Jewish. Circumcised would be anybody who is Jewish. So he says, Peter's got the gospel to the Jewish, and I have the gospel to the Gentiles. For he who effectually works for Peter, and in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually works for me also to the Gentiles. And, and recognizing the grace that had been given me, James... Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Can I say right there, James, Peter, that's Cephas, and John. So you have a meeting with Paul, James, Cephas, and Peter. That's most of the New Testament writers right there, right? I mean, John, Paul, like, like this, this is the heavyweights. These are the Bible authors. We don't have Hebrews in there and... Uh, um, and another one. Okay, um, Jude. It, it, but we have most of the New Testament writers right there. And he says they, they basically agreed so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked that we remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. Now, what's the problem here? What's the problem? Well, you have this, this Jewish gospel and all of a sudden the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. And the question is, do we tell the Gentiles to act and live like the Jewish people? 
Do we put upon them the ceremonial laws? Right? Do we say, hey, yes, you believe in Jesus, but you also shouldn't eat pork, right? Give up bacon for life, right? And, like, you know, and, and they had things like a person who touches anything unclean, uh, be it human uncleanness or uncleanness of animals or uncleanness of creatures and eats uh, flesh from the Lord. From the Lord's sacrifice of well-being, the, the Lord's sacrifice of the well-being of that person. So what is he saying? If I came in contact with you or a dead body, or if a woman was having her time of the month, right? Or if a man had some kind of nocturnal admission, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't go into the temple. And, and they're, they're saying, hey, you got to start keeping these kind of laws. So it's Jesus plus this stuff equals salvation and yet if you know anything about the ministry of jesus people who got near him got healed and he never became unclean they got clean and he was getting all this flack right he's getting flack because how dare you let a woman with the emission of blood touch the gehem of your garment and then uh, jesus you should be unclean you got touched but no, with Jesus, it flowed cleanness, wholeness. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And all these laws pointed us to Jesus. And Jesus does this ministry, and he, he touches lepers, and they're healed. I mean, the, the Bible would say, you touch somebody with leprosy, you're unclean. But Jesus touches people with leprosy, and his cleanness flows into them. But you had people in that day that were somehow saying, well, that's Jesus, but that's not what we should follow, right? And what about the woman at the well? I mean, here he is talking to, like, one of those women, and she had a past, and he's hanging out with her, and he's talking to her. Maybe he even touched her, and yet salvation came into that woman's life, and Jesus never became unclean. You see, I think Paul is so upset because he's like, you guys don't look like Jesus in the way you're acting because of what you're doing. And I couldn't help but think how Paul had this beautiful concept that whatever touched Jesus became clean, but then even as we are believers in Christ... Somehow, cleanliness flows through us. Look at this crazy passage in Corinthians. If a woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified, set apart, made holy. That's how we translate that word, through the unbelieving wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through the I'm sorry, through the, yeah, through the believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they're holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him go. The believing brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. So you had this picture of us, the church, being married to Jesus. And in this marriage relationship, 
We are like one with him, right? I've told you this before. When I came to Gretchen, I said, everything I have is yours. She said to me, everything I have is yours. And when we come to Christ, we say, everything we have is yours. And he says, everything I have is yours. The trouble is, he gets the bad end of the deal. Because what do I have? I die with nothing. I was born in sin. And because of it, I deserve death and damnation. He goes, I'll take that. And I'll give you grace for your sin, life for your death, and salvation for your damnation. And Paul knew this picture, and it was so deeply embedded, he's like, well, maybe it works in human marriage, too. I mean, this, this is, I think, what one of the things that riled Paul up so much. You see, in Galatians 1, Paul, in sharing his testimony, he says, but, he, but when he who set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son. Now, this is how translators translate it about half the time, to me. But if you click on my little computer program, it'll say Greek, in. Was pleased to reveal his son in me. And here's what I think. Paul would say, you guys represent Jesus to the world. Like you're... You're missing it. Like, you're, you're, you're not looking like Jesus. In this chapter, he says, I was cru- I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. But who? Christ lives within me. He's like, if you're going to draw these lines with these cultural differences, you don't look like Jesus. That totally goes against the gospel of Christ. Paul is upset. He's frustrated. And to look at this even from a little different angle, uh, the question, how are you made right with God, would be a legitimate question to ask. Like, how are you made right with God? Is it Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus don't wear clothes that have two kinds of fabrics in them, right? Jesus plus touch a dead person, you're unclean, you can't go to church, right? Is it Jesus plus something equals salvation, or is it Jesus plus nothing equals salvation? I think Paul would say works flow from a changed life and a changed heart. Like if Jesus is in you, guess what's going to flow out of you? Works. Uh, it's gonna, this is going to be something that happens in the lives of Christians. It isn't something to earn salvation. It's something that uh, happens because of salvation. So Paul goes on and he gives us another story. He says, so at one time he went to, he went to Jerusalem. He met with the, the big wigs and they basically embraced the gospel, the gospel to the Gentiles. But then another time... He was with Peter, and they were eating. And he says, and when Peter came to Antioch, look at Paul. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned before certain men from James. Uh, He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, and he drew back, and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And you know what's kind of interesting? So I read Acts that talks about this. James authorized Paul to preach to the Gentiles. Like he was okay with this. But somehow 
the teachers who learned from James, the, the students of James, they took his teaching in a crooked way, right? Jim, have you ever had people say, oh, I learned this from you, and you're scratching your head. You're like, that's, I, I, I didn't. I didn't teach that. You, you, you know what I'm saying? And so this is exactly what happened here with James. He, they're like, hey, we got the authority of James, right? And, and he says, uh, Peter now, he separates himself. A and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's like some serious business, right? He's like right in his face. And I think the line here that's really important is, I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel. Now, could he have said, listen, you're a racist, right? You're a Jew, and God has, has died for everybody equally, and you're not living, you're sinning with your racism. But notice he doesn't say that. He doesn't correct him so much telling him what to do. He reminds him what Christ has done for us. And this is, I believe, how we grow in looking more like Jesus. It isn't so much hammering laws down on one another, but it's helping us apply the gospel deeply into our lives. I mean, look what he said. He goes, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Do you love that? Because this is how the Jews think. He's like calling out their racism. But then he says, but, but we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. A couple things I pull from this. Peter. I mean, can you get any bigger wig in the church than Peter? Probably not, right? But what does Paul do? He calls him out. And can I say that you guys might need to call me out from time to time. Doug, you're not living in line with the gospel. Jim, you're not living in line with the... Like, if Paul calls out Peter, how much more do we need others to help us when we're not living or thinking or acting in line with the gospel? A lot of times people think, oh, we can't tell the leaders. And I'm thinking, thank God Paul didn't think that way. Because we wouldn't have some of the Bible, right? Like, we, we, we're not above not living in line with the gospel. If the guy that Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, we need, and you need, and we all need to help each other live in line with the gospel. So how do you do this? You know, I started thinking about, like, how do I feel, or how, how do you... How do you feel about yourself? Do you, ever, do you ever have that? How do you feel about yourself? Now, this is how I live many times. Jim, I hope you can catch this. Woo! Now, give, throw, that, uh, throw that back to me now. But no, I, I want you to hold on to the string. Oh, hold on to the string. There we go. We're just going to play. 
Hey, toss it to Brian then too. Hold on to a piece of string and toss the ball. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now toss it to Betty, right? Right, now Betty, toss it back to me. Just throw it. You got it, Betty, come on. And now Jackie, right? Okay, so here's the deal. So many times, can I tell you who I am? I connect my feelings to so many people, right? And if I'm pleasing Jim, Brian, and Betty, and Jackie, and like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm doing well, I can, I, I can feel good about myself, right? But guess what? Many times the voice of the evil one is saying, you're not doing well. Right? And, and then you start tugging, because you know what? Jim wants something that's different than what Brian wants or what Betty wants. Now, who do I please, right? Do I have to become a chameleon? Jim's pulling me one way, now Jack is pulling, right? And do you ever live this way? Like you've attached all these strings to your job, your career, your performance, and, and you, you, I base how I feel on how I'm pleasing people, and you know it's not living in step with the gospel, is it? This is what the gospel helps me do. Jesus I'm yours, and I can't adequately please all the people I want to please, but you offer me peace. And many times, I will intentionally look at all the stuff I don't like or even hate about myself and just look it in the face and say, if I'm good enough for Jesus, I'm good enough for me. That's living in line with the gospel. There's a freedom in that. There's a grace in that. And, and living in line with the gospel affects us down deep. What if the whole church could do that? How loving would you be to other failures? How less judgmental? Do you ever judge somebody just because it makes you feel better than them? <clears throat> How about forgiveness? Do you ever struggle with forgiveness? Right? The deeper the wound, the harder it is. Right? The deeper the wound, the, the harder it is. And hardly a week goes by where you don't have to forgive somebody for something, right? The guy who cuts you off on the road. Like if somebody would ask to have that piece of pavement too close to my car, I'd be so loving. But when they just take it, my heart is not very forgiving towards them, right? Or when that car and I'm riding my bike is closer than three feet, Never mind. Okay, but forgiveness, like forgiveness is a regular thing, isn't it? And when I'm bitter, like have you ever had somebody say to me, you know, I don't know if I can ever forgive them. Can I become a Christian? That's a tough question, isn't it, right? Because you probably want to say, well, no, right? No, oh, so you're, making, you're putting a condition on the gospel. I would probably say yes, and the Lord will help you. The Lord will help you, right? He'll help you to see Jesus and his death for you in such a big way, in such a way that you appreciate it, that you will let go of that right to retaliate in one way or another. And you will set yourself free and you'll set them free, right? Bitterness and unforgiveness, we're not living in step with the gospel, right? And I was teaching uh, confirmation and... We uh, get to the sixth commandment, 
always awkward times, but I just march right in and start talking about sex, sex outside of marriage and things. And, and you know, the reality is in any church, any given, any church on any given weekend, there's a number of people who attend who probably say, yes, sex outside of this marriage covenant, this beautiful marriage relationship is not how God wants it to be. And yet, at the same time, they are still sexually active, sometimes with one person, sometimes with, you know, more than one people. And somehow there's a, a disconnect here in their life. They, they know what's true and right and understand the truth, but then somehow they can't apply it. And the reality is, is because they're not living in step with the gospel, Tim Keller, since this is awkward, I'm going to quote him instead of talking about it, said, some of you are doing this against your conscience. Whoops. Some of you are doing this against your conscience. And you can't stop because you desperately need the adoration of a particular person or persons. You don't like yourself otherwise. You can't actually bear it. Christ isn't enough. You've been adding to the gospel. You don't really believe in justification by faith alone. You don't believe it. You might say you believe it, but your heart doesn't see it. You're still trying to cleanse and beautify yourself through something else, through this relationship. And he goes on and he goes, that's not the only reason people have sex. Some people have sex out of a need for power. They, they need to know they can do it. They need to know they can attract they need to know they can win. Some people do it out of a need to feel independent. Some of you are doing it because your parents said never, never do it. And you don't feel like you're alive unless you're violating what your parents said. There's all kinds of reasons. We could come up with more reasons. But when we are breaking a commandment, what are we doing? We're believing something greater. We're, 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 we're agreeing with the commandment. But there's another gospel at work in our heart, isn't it? And the, the reality of the Christian life is we're always trying to get the gospel in various areas of our life and to believe it. Because when we believe it, right, when we love Jesus, when we appreciate it more, it weans us from the things of the world. Like the law just crushes and it never, it coerces, but it never actually changes the heart. Only the gospel does. Only when we love Jesus more. Scripture goes on and Paul says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too have, are found to be sinners, then is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so I might live to God. But I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Like, what is he saying here? He's, he's saying that the reality of us is we are sinner saint at the same time. And although we are... Um, uh, new creatures, we still act like old creatures sometimes. But the truth of the matter is, Paul says, when Jesus died, I died. And when Jesus rose, I rose. He kind of addresses this a little bit in Romans. Uh, have you ever told somebody about Christ 
And this gospel sounds so incredible. They say, well, why not just keep on sinning, right? Like if, if it's so good, Jim kind of talked about this last week. If it's so good, if grace is free, Jesus bore it all, why, why do I, why do, I don't want to keep on sinning? He says, are we to continue to sin so grace may abound? And the question here is, is really like this. If, uh, sorry, Betty, if I punch Betty in the face and you guys go, oh, look how loving Betty is. She forgave Pastor Doug. And, and I think, you know, if I punch her again, you're going to think she's even more loving. And you're like, yes. So I punch her again. And again, and this is what the question is. If we keep punching God in the face by our willful sin, look how great he is. Look how nice he is. How, how do you answer this question? Somebody comes up to you and goes, so, I, I'm getting this gospel. Why not keep on sinning? Because look how good God is. I love sinning. He loves forgiving. It's a deal. How do you answer it? Paul answered it, and this is what he said. He said, what then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with them in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is like, that's crazy. You've, you've missed the whole picture of the gospel and what Christ has come to do. I, I believe Paul would say, when people meet me, I want them to meet Jesus. I mean, what else does it mean? Christ lives in me. Like the old Doug is dead, and I pray that the new Doug is resurrected, that, that somehow Jesus is living in me. I mean, think about this, and I'm going to close with this. Where, what happened? Moses meets God in Exodus 3. What does he have? There's a bush burning, right? Fire judgment but the bush is not being consumed and Moses delivers the people of Israel and where's the fire goes up and meets God and there's fire on the mountain right God's up there fire's up there Moses is is meeting with him and then what happens at Pentecost guess what that same fire hits the heads of the apostles so what's the message my temple is is here it's, it's, a, it's in our midst, and it's in you. And I think so many times as believers in Jesus, we just miss this whole aspect that Christ is in me. He's my hope, my glory, that, that I, when he died, I died. And when he rose, I rose. And, and the Apostle Paul is, is mad at these people who are trying to keep people away from Jesus and him. Sorry, Jesus eats at that table, but not with the Gentile sinners, right? And he said, no, I want people to meet Jesus in you. Will you pray with me? Lord, 
I pray that you would um, awaken us to your reality in our midst and inside of us and that, Lord, you see where in my life and in all our lives where we don't live and walk according to the gospel. And we would ask that you would move us by your spirit that we could um, be regularly conformed to your image, Jesus, that our lives and our days could count for time and eternity, and you'd even give us the gift of self-forgetfulness. Jesus, in your name, I ask this. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.